Good day, everyone. Welcome to episode 12 of Unboxing the Faith. Theology of the body, or TOB for short, is probably something you've heard being thrown around once in a while in church. But what exactly is it? Luckily, today we'll have Andrew Kong with us to guide us in this topic. Let us begin. What do you believe? Organ. Eucharist. Saints. Christmas. Tradition. Sacraments. Hymns. Trinity. Easter. Mary. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Our faith is not a question of I think. It's a question of Jesus Christ has taught us through the church. All right. Uh, welcome, Andrew. Welcome to our podcast. Uh, yeah, our listeners would have definitely picked up from the audio quality. It's a bit different that this episode is not recorded live in person as we used to do it. So maybe to start off, Andrew, uh, why not you share a little bit about yourself and where you are currently? Yeah. Sure. Uh, well, I, I'm a layperson, uh, a layman, not a clergy, but I've been involved in the learning and training people about theology, theology, talking about it, giving presentations for almost 10 years already. And mm. uh, it's my passion. I told a lot, you know, I want to make it my life mission to teach theology, the body to as many people as possible. And because I find it very, very meaningful. Right. Uh, yes. So uh, where, what do I do? Uh, I, I work as a consultant. Uh, Previously, I used to work in a bank for 10 years. Then I worked in family life society for about another 10 years. Then another 10 years, I was a consultant with private schools. But in between, I mean, all along, I've been giving uh, talks and trainings and programs on theology to body. So this is uh, really one of my passionate areas. And I'm, I'm very happy to be here to share this with you all. Hey, awesome. So currently, you're residing in Singapore, if I'm not mistaken? Yes, yes. Ah, I see. So all the way from the other side of the the small river, yes, the little straight. All right. So before we proceed any further, we should mention that you know we won't be going into everything regarding the theology of the body, like, because it's a vast topic. But rather, we will lay the groundwork there so that for you know there is some context for future discussions. <clears throat> episode two with Andrew Kong, maybe. <laughs> All right, so sure. let's, let's, let's start the episode, right? So maybe, Andrew, can you just introduce to us what exactly is TOB and where did it come from? Where did this idea come from? Okay, the origin of TOB, and even the word theology of the body, comes from St. John Paul II. Uh, at that time, it was Pope, Saint John, uh, Pope John Paul II. He gave a series of talks, in fact, 129 weekly talks. You see, the Pope uh, every Wednesday in Rome would have a public audience and on Wednesday afternoon in St. Peter's Square. And uh, whoever is in the square at that time, it may be pilgrims, tourists, seminarians, religious, just members of the public, school children, whoever is in the, in the square, it's a public address, you know, to the whole square. And the Pope gives a uh, usually about 15 or 20 minutes talk. 
followed by his blessing, and he welcomes the pilgrims from different parts of the world. And this is a weekly schedule. Uh, for the first time in history, this Pope was giving 129 consecutive talks on the same theme, mm. theology of the body. There were two breaks, uh, 1981 and 1983. Because 1981, there was the attempted assassination. Uh, and then 1983 was Holy Year. So there was a different theme for that year. But other than that, the 129 talks, uh, I think it took the world by surprise because he, uh, there was a lot of philosophy and theology in this talk and anthropology. And, and uh, it took quite a bit of time for the, for the world, for the church, for the people to appreciate what this Pope is saying. Mm. And slowly, bit by bit, is, we are un unpacking, unpacking what is inside this theology of the body. And the Pope himself calls it a biblical reflection on mm. marriage and love. In fact, he subtitled the theology of the body. He called it the uh, human love in the divine plan. Uh, so uh, very interesting uh, approach. And he also used a lot of uh, a different form of philosophy, quite different from the usual uh, way of learning uh, theology. You know, you, you ask a question, you can you learn theology by by uh, that's what you call the uh, <clears throat> the normal way we define something. We look at what are the purpose, what are the aims. But in this theology of the body, the Pope used a lot of phenomenology. And phenomenology mm. is, a, is a whole school of philosophy where uh, the focus is on the experience. It's like experiential learning. And, and, and give you an example. Huh? If I tell you it's raining outside right now very heavily, uh, and your windows and doors are closed and you do not know whether it's raining or not, you can believe me or not believe me. Subjectively, you say, no, I don't feel wet. But objectively, it's true, it's raining. But if I say, why don't you go outside into the rain and walk in the rain and let the water fall on your face and down your down your hair, down your clothes, your clothing, you're soaking, keeping <laughs> wet. You, know, you begin to feel the cold chill of the rainwater on your face. Now, you are beginning to have a subjective experience of an objective truth. That is what theology of the body uses in phenomenology. We look at the experience and we want to experience the truth. We want to learn and not just learn the, the theology, the, the concept, the ideas, and the knowledge, but we want to experience that knowledge. We want to know that it's raining experientially. Mm. And this is what theology body attempts to do. And it deals not just with the body, but basically saying our body reveals a lot of things that God wants to tell us. It's a, God's revelation and God's self-revelation in and through the human body. Not mm. just the bo human body, the human sexual body. Or you can say the naked human sexual body reveals uh, God's truth, God's theology. That's why you say it's a theology of the body. It's a revelation. The whole gospel is imprinted, inscribed into our bodies, into our very anatomy our feelings, our physiology, our emotions, our DNA, the way the brain is wired is part of God's plan. You know, and it's really, really very, very uh, exciting because, uh, you know, this, this, this strange emotion of eros, sexual desire, you know, the libidos, you know, the, the call to communion, coming to union between man and woman is part of God's plan. And it's a major part of God's plan. Uh, in fact, uh, if I, the 3D of TOB, uh, three, three delta, three Ds, uh, to summarize what TOB is, 
uh, is desire, the first D, all of us have it, you know, and especially sexual desires and all desires, but especially sexual desires is the first D. Second D is that design, the way we are designed, our body, our anatomy, our sexual bodies, the male and female, how it fits, how we are drawn and to, to union. So desires and design points to our destiny, the third D, heaven, which uh, has been described as Reve in Revelation as a great marriage feast, the marriage of the Lamb, Revelation 19, uh, 19 uh, you know, the, where the, the Lamb's bride is all of us, the church, the community of the redeemed, you know, the new Jerusalem, the people of God. So TOB brings together a lot of all these themes, all these topics, you know, we hear about them in the church and we, people talk about it, but now our body is part of this revelation. I don't know if you can see this post. I uh, cannot see this post, of course. Uh, uh, that, that our body reveals God's plan. If only we need to wear these glasses, TOB glasses, TOB lenses, <laughs> and, and you can begin to see reality in, in a different way, in a new yeah. paradigm. Yeah, right. So the great Pope St. John Paul II introduced this wonderful ideology yes. it's ideology a good word for it uh, philosophy yes definitely. yeah it's with a new philosophy and which is what modern man needs because now today you tell people uh, marriage is for one man and one woman and they will ask you why you know previously nobody will ask you why you know it's just yeah it's like that you know <laughs> look at your body it's like that, it, it, that you, you don't ask why but today mm. people are asking why you tell them uh, no no, uh, no you, you don't fornicate you don't commit adultery it's wrong now people will ask you why, why is it wrong? No? Yeah, and yeah. I think that's what we will yes. we will yes. go into as well. Though a few yes. more whys. And so yeah, th th that's the attraction of Yobi for me. You know, it answers the why uh, in a in a new way with my own experience, my body to look to find the answer within myself, mm. because the we all know the answer. It's actually the best reference material, the best source book, reference book is under our skin, is our own bodies. You know, and if we can only listen to it, and then basically TOB is like, I am just reminding you what you already know. Mm. That the answers, God has inscribed the truth of his nature, of his revelation, of his self-revelation, the truth of Christianity, God loving us, that the good news is inscribed in our bodies. Because God, if it's, why do we men, why do men love women? It's because uh, God has some idea he, God, why do we call God a masculine gender? You know, why you call it and because the church is the feminine, not just a church, but humankind, mankind, human race is feminine. We are all the bride of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so this great God wants to marry us. He's the great lover. And we are his beloved. You know, uh, and of course, we as Christians are more privileged. We know our identity clearer. But for the non-Christians, they too are also the beloved. Mm -hmm. They have to know, they should know. They, we want to tell them that, hey, there is a great lover who loves them too. And all of them. You know, and that's why uh, this idea of God as the bridegroom Messiah, Jesus Christ is the bridegroom Messiah. It's a beautiful story which humankind, the human race, longs to hear because it's, a, it's in the desire of the human heart to be loved. I think St. Augustine is the one who wrote, and our hearts are made for you, O God, and we will not rest until we rest in you. So mm -hmm. this yearning, this this yearning, this desire, this this yearning for, for fulfillment, for love, is not just a Christian thing; it's a human thing. 
every yeah. human being yearns and longs for love. And, and this yearning, this longing is inscribed in the bride's body. Okay, I think we, we mentioned a little bit, a lot, a little bit, a lot. It's a very oxymoron <laughs> statement. We, we mentioned a, a lot on love, right? And the secular world nowadays have a very odd view on human love. So I think it's even more important that we understand a little bit more on what uh, JP2 mentions about human love. So Andrew, let's let let's let's uh let's redefine love in the TOB sense, shall we? So what yeah. is love? Well, uh, we know that uh, Saint Thomas Aquinas would always say love is the willing the good of the beloved. Well, it's very correct, very theological, very te- technical. You know, yeah, I wish for your good. But in TOB, uh, love is translated to uh, self gift the norm of the gift, G-I-F-T, gift. Everything is but giving. And the, look at the crucifix. We see in every Catholic church, it has to have a corpus, a body on it. It's not just a cross, it's a crucifix, a corpus on the cross. Why? Because that corpus, that body of Christ on the cross speaks a message. What is that message? We have to link it with the Last Supper. You see that for us, uh, Catholics, the central event of of, our Christianity starts from the Last Supper and concludes with Calvary on the cross. Okay, sometimes we see some. We if you see it as two events, it's wrong. Uh, It's one event. It starts with the Last Supper because that's where we we get the context when Christ said, "This is my body, given up for you." He used his mouth, his words. This is my body, given up for you. He gave the bread, right? Now on Good Friday, the next day, three p.m. in the afternoon, next day. He was hanging on the cross. And now he's saying the same thing, not with words, not with his mouth, not orally, but with the language of the body. He's hanging there on the cross. He's saying, this is my body given up for you. Mm. And that's, and then he says, finally, consumatum es. It is consummated. It is given. It is finished. It is. Now, those of, uh, I mean, you, you would know that the word consummation is a very nuptial word. Because what is happening here is Christ is celebrating his funeral on his wedding day. Who is he giving his body to? If you read Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5 talks about man and woman, a bright and bright room. Christ laid down his life to give his uh, give his body, give it uh, for the for the bride, so that she be made holy and spotless and I mean, without blemish. That self-giving is to the bride, to the church. That's why in every Catholic church, there must be a crucifix mm-hmm. to remind the people of the sacrifice on the altar. It's not just uh, the Last Supper itself or just Calvary itself. It is both two in one. The two must always see together and then we get the right context. The crucifixion is not just another Roman execution. You know, but if you've seen in the, in the language of the Last Supper, Christ is giving his body to us on the cross. And who is us? The church, the bride of Christ. And, and this is uh, realized in a very intimate and special way when each one of us receive Holy Communion. We receive the body of Christ that he gave. And, he, and Christ used uh, four characteristics, uh, uh, rather, the church describes this self-giving or this conjugal gift of Christ on the cross 
There's four characteristics, very important in TOB. The FTFF principle, free, total, faithful, fruitful. Christ said, I lay down my life freely. They don't take it from me. It is a total gift without reservation until death. It is uh, faithful. I'll be with you to the end of time. And it is fruitful. I've come that you may have life, life to the fullest. FTFF. So this self-giving is have these four FTFF characteristics. And when you, when you contrast that or you compare that with the vows that married people make before the priest, have you come here freely? Yes. Otherwise, it's an invalid marriage. Do you promise uh, to take without reservation? Total and, and this person to be your spouse. Total self-give and total receive a uh, reception of the other. It cannot be I'm I'm yours for only six days a week and I got what day off. No, it's really without reservation, total self-giving. Yes, you say I do. Will you be faithful in good times and a bad signal in his health? You know, ritual for poorer to death, do you part? Unconditional faithfulness. I do. Again, is that, that unconditional love again? And the last one, do you welcome children? Fruitfulness. FTFF. So when you compare the, what's happening on the cross and what is happening uh, when people get married, the vows they make, it's FTFF again. And the, this is where TOB becomes uh, real. On the wedding night, when they consummate that marriage, in the wedding bed, when they have sexual intercourse, the man is saying to the woman, not with words, not with the mouth, but with the language of the body, this is my body given up for you. Mm. And the wife opens herself to this gift to receive the husband literally into her. And she, she is also saying the same words, this is my body given up for you, but with the language of the body. And that uh, exchange, the absolute embrace, the part of the nuptial mystery and is linking this Christ and his church and men and women in a one flesh union. All this comes from Ephesians chapter 5, 31, 21 to 32. It's very scriptural. And this whole passage, John Paul II calls it in classic text. It is everything that we need to know about Christianity. It's all in there. It's summarized. It's, it's, it's a summa you know, of what God wants want, want us to know. You know, and, and he, he just doesn't just want to have a relationship with you. You know, a lot of our Christian friends are asking, do you have a relationship with Jesus? You know, uh, no, Jesus, that, Jesus wants more than just a relationship. You can have a relationship with a postman, with a delivery man, with a hawker, with your friend, with a taxi driver. You can have a lot of relationship. Jesus wants to marry you. You want to marry us. You know, and so it's a, it's a nuptial union. And, and so, uh, and, and that's why it's so important for Catholics that the Holy Communion receive is the Eucharist is true flesh. It cannot be symbolic. Mm. It cannot be a representation. It has to be Jesus himself in the flesh. So the two flesh become one. That's a great mystery you know, in, in Ephesians chapter 5. The two, when the two are made one, one flesh. And St. Paul says it's a great mystery. Sacramentum magnum. And it refers that it refers to Christ and his church, Christ the bridegroom and his church the bride. So this linking of what is something very secular, very sexual, very sensuous, to something very sacred, very divine, our destiny is, is the great uh, sacrament of Christianity. We link together 
the two marriages, marriage of Adam and Eve, our human marriages, and the marriage of the new Adam and the new Eve, Christ and his church, redemption. Story of creation is linked to story of redemption. And these two stories are linked together in a great mystery, one great sign. You know, so that, that, that's the, uh, I think, the beauty and the power of TOB, if people can only see it. And, and our bodies inscribed with it. Not just you can look at it, we can experience it. You know, if you're a man, you can experience eros, drawn to looking at a woman. And Pope Benedict, in his uh, first encyclical, when he was Pope, uh, Pope Emeritus uh, Benedict, mm. 16, wrote, Dios uh, Ascaritas, God is love. And in one line, which is very, uh, to me, very important, God's love can be described as eros. And I, because he, he gave a, a, a rundown, a whole a, a narration of Old Testament and New Testament. You know, the whole Bible is about God's love. And in the Old Testament, God is Yahweh, the, the, the husband, the, the, the maker. I'm your husband. I'm the, he's, the, he's the bridegroom. Mm. And, and it is a spousal love that he loves the people of Israel. Yahweh loves like a bridegroom loves his bride, loves his people. And when the people are praying to false gods, practicing idolatry, the prophets call them for adultery. It's a very spousal thing. It's a marriage thing, you know. So And, and so uh, that's how it, it was always in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it, it becomes fulfilled. What was in the Old Testament is only a prefiguring, mm. a foreshadowing. What is coming in the New Testament? You know, we call it typology. Uh, it's a type. So what was figured in a, as a type? In the New Testament, Jesus Christ manifests the love of Yahweh. Because now Yahweh is, shows himself as the bridegroom Messiah. The Messiah, the people of, have been waiting for. And so it's manifested in Jesus Christ. And he calls together the 12 apostles for the Last Supper, a very special meal, the Seder meal. But he, but he has made it even a, a wedding meal. Because, of course, the 12 apostles are supposed to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. So it is, it is the new Israel. It's the new bride of Christ. And what was happening there where Christ said, this is my body given for you, are the marital vows. On Calvary, he consummates those vows. The words become flesh. Likewise with the married couple. The words of the wedding vows on the marriage bed, when they consummate, when they're intercourse, the words become flesh. Mm. And if you can see that that idea that the word becoming flesh is what we call the incarnation, it's a very genius, it's a very heart of Christianity. You know, the core of Christianity is the word become flesh. And God has become flesh in you and me. And now, uh, John Paul II is saying, hey, you know, uh, human loving is actually a manifestation, a concretization, a incarnation of God's loving. And, and even spousal loving, you know, uh, it's not just husband, love, wife, life worth, love, husband. Because of Jesus Christ, uh, his redemptive love on the cross, he redeemed all of us, but he redeemed us as the spouse, or, or, as the bridegroom messiah. That spousal love is now redemptive love. And redemptive love is now spousal love. So that means mm. husband and wife now, because of Calvary, when they love each other, they are not only just loving each other with human love, they are also redeeming each other. Right. It has brought marriage to a new uh, new platform, a new dignity, a new status. And so we say marriage before at Jesus Christ is the natural sacrament. But after Jesus Christ, it's now a 
sacrament. It's not, it's not, before that, it was not even a natural sacrament. It was just a natural institution. Yeah, I think what, what I'm getting out of all this is that um, because when we say, when we talk, talk about love, we normally have the, the different types of love, you know, we talk about different types of eros is one of it. Then obviously the perfect love then is agape, right? Mm. But we, we, we talk a lot on agape, but we, we didn't talk about eros too much. And I think yeah. from what you're, you're getting at is that eros is so much more than just uh, the sexual desire for the opposite sex. Um, it's like you said, it's a spousal love that, you know, translates to a, a redemptive love. I, I love how you put that. Yeah. Yeah, agape, way. as a Christian, we know about the concept of agape love, yeah, divine, unconditional love, you know, uh, you know, beautiful, altruistic love. That's agape love. Eros is, you know, men and women, sex, the sexy part, the sensual part. <laughs> For the Christian, we are called to merge these two, integrate these two, to, to, to love agape love, to love Eros with agape love. You know, if husband and wife can love that. And that, that, that is the, the task, the challenge of Christianity and not just for Christianity, for all humankind. Because what is Christian is what is human. To be fully human is to be Christian. You know? So because this comes from uh, Vatican II, uh, the, uh, Jesus Christ, the, the new Adam, reveals man to himself you know, by the revelation of the mystery of the Father's love. He, he, he reveals, reveals a man to his, you know, to his uh, calling. Mm. So this is very important. And man can only find himself in a sincere gift of himself. God in the space 22. You know, that when we truly give ourselves, again, this idea of giving, of gift, it's very central. And mm. uh, that's where Theo introduces this concept of spousal meaning of the body. It's a very strange word. I, I never heard of it before, Theo I don't know if you heard of it. Spousal meaning of the body. Time. Yeah. Yes, okay, then you're, you're learning something. It intrigued me, and it, from years, even, even now, I still think about it. What is the spousal meaning of the body? You know, are we, called, are we supposed to be spouses, all of us, but not all of us marry? And like, but, but, yes and no. Because we have a spousal meaning inside us, that means we have to fulfill that meaning if we want to be fulfilled. Mm. And how do we fulfill ourselves if we're if we not getting married, if I'm a consecrated religious, or I'm single by choice, or I'm single by whatever, whatever reason? Then I, does that mean I can't be fulfilled? No. The spousal meaning of the body here uh, is connected to the body's uh, design to be a gift. Through a self-giving, self-sacrificial self gift, a total self-donation. Because you live out the spousal being of the body, even if you choose celibacy, you're also still living out. But, but now you, but you're celibate for the kingdom of heaven for the kingdom of God. Yeah. If you choose marriage, you are a spouse, you live out spousal meaning the body for your wife, for your husband. You're you're a gift to the other. So when you're you're a celibate, you have to be a gift to the kingdom of heaven right. or to, to God. Mm. So it, uh, it goes beyond not just to the church. I mean so any, there are many people who are not religious, they're not consecrated people, but they they, they live celibacy because of good reason some of them may be musicians and artists and they want to give up their life and their passion to their passion to serve humankind to serve the human race to serve society the kingdom of heaven is a bigger concept than just the church you know so that uh, so there's many ways some of them we, we may have to be caregivers for our age aged parents that and we because of that you know we have chosen a celibacy a way of life mm -hmm. so that, 
as long as we if we become a self-gift through and in our bodies, uh, we become a self, self, total self-donation. And living that, then we see, then we understand that, uh, you know, how we can be what you call eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, on the topic of marriage, right? Okay. We, we love our CCC here on our podcast. Lah. So uh, what I'll do is I'll share a paragraph from the CCC, which hopefully will stir up some discussion here. Then you just give us the bigger picture. All right. Okay. So CCC 369, it says, men and women have been created which is to say, built by God. On the one hand, in perfect equality as human persons. On the other, in their respective beings as men and women. Being men or being women is a reality which is good and built by God. Men and women possess an inalienable dignity which comes to them immediately from God in their creator. Men and women are both with one and the same dignity in the image of God. In their being men and being women, they reflect the creator's wisdom and goodness. Now, I want to focus on the main thing here, which you heard a few times in just this short passage, men and women. So, Andrew, could you just help us understand why do you think that the magisterium purposely made it so obvious in this paragraph, men and women? Okay. Uh, of course, the origin of that comes from why, why did God make men and women? And... We can look at Genesis 1.27. See, God created a lot of stuff, you know, the heaven, the sea, the sky, and all that. And it was good, it was good, it was good. And then God wanted to create a man. And he said, let us make man in our image and likeness. And what, what, and what did he do? Uh, he created Adam and, Adam and Eve in the image and likeness. Uh, so, there are two ways of being a human person. As a male species or a female species, we are like human human being, but there are two sub two ways of becoming of being a human as a man as a man or as a woman. Now, why do you have these two? Uh, really, if you if you saw the context of it, why did God do that? Because He wants us to be in His image and likeness. What is God? Oh, oh yeah, the next line is said to go forth and multiply, right, uh, to the man and woman. So, how do men and women multiply? Not not by cloning, right? It's uh, <laughs> it's marriage and sexual intercourse, right? And and they conceive a child, etc. Uh, now, if you understand, when God said to Himself, uh, "Let's make mankind in the image and likeness," He what is themselves? What is that image? God God Himself is a Trinity of persons: Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And what is this Trinity doing? This exchange of love. The the Father is loving the Son fully, giving himself totally, self-giving love to the Son. The Son receives the love of the Father and gives himself back to the Father. And so there's an exchange of self-giving love, self-giving giving of Father and Son. And the love of the Father and the Son is the Holy Spirit. So you have the Trinity in a dynamic exchange of love. Now, how is, how is God to make mankind or make man in that image and likeness? So the next line, scripture 127 says, Genesis 127 says, and God created man, male and female, he created them. And when he told them to go forth and multiply, what is he saying? He's really saying, go forth, get buried, and have sexual intercourse. And what happens in sexual intercourse? The man gives his love fully to the woman. 
and it's manifested, it is expressed, it's concretized in sexual intercourse, in the self-giving, total self-giving, literally into the woman. The woman receives the man into her and gives herself back to the man. Her giving back to the man is a spiritual, more spiritual than physical. By opening herself to receive the man into her, it's already her giving of herself to the man. Now, this exchange of self-giving love expressed in and through the body or the language of the body, we can say, yeah? when they are fertile, what happens? That love is conceptualized, is conceived in the third person, the child, the fruit of that love. And, and so now uh, marriage and family is in the image and likeness of the Trinity. And this is uh, some theologians that say it's a development of doctrine. In the past, uh, we say that man is in the image of God because we have, we have an intellect and free will. We have a soul, a spiritual soul, you know, and two faculties, intellect and free will. And God also have, so we image God in that way. God also got free will and intellect. But now we, and it stops there. That's it. Man is individual, man or woman. But now, if you see a God as Trinity, it is the marriage and family represents the image, that icon of the Trinitarian love. And that's why uh, it's so important that uh, we understand marriage correctly. It has to be one man, one woman, without contraception, without IVF, without cloning, without all the, all the funny stuff. And uh, it has to be forever, you know, unconditional giving and, and, and indissoluble love. Because that, that communion of, of marriage and family in, you know, is an icon of the Trinity. So sexual love is an icon of, of uh, the Trinity. Mm. And from there, we can understand why it has to be uh, proper. It has to be husband and wife uh, engaged in sexual intercourse. It cannot be uh, two strangers or a man and a prostitute or not a man and not his wife and, and, some, and somebody else's wife or something else. It has to be man and wife. So that's why all the... Uh, perversions or, or, rather, or rather the uh, sins of, of sexuality comes up where there is a perversion, there's a distortion and an impurity coming in. Whether it's fornication, uh, they mean they're not married to each other. Uh, adultery, one of them married but having sex with somebody else. Or it's a homosexual sex, it's a same sex, you know, and it's not the man and woman. Or, or masturbation, you know, you, you are not giving yourself to the other. You, you're just stimulating uh, uh, the pleasures and, and focusing on this on the pleasure and lusting you know, in the mind. So it, all these are just distortions of one truth. Once mm -hmm. we understand that one truth, then we understand all the rest are distortions. All the rest are just perversions. And, and uh, TOB is to say, look, look, what is sex really about? And if sex is really about this, this is the rocket that will launch us into heaven. Sex is that nuclear energy that will launch us to the skies, to the heavens. But when we get it wrong, you know, uh, the, the rocket is inverted to itself. You have an implosion, we, you know, you explode, we destroy ourselves. We destroy the human human family, the human race. You know, and then there's uh, the, the confusion that TOB hopes to uh, share, uh, to, un to undo by sharing TOB, you know, what really TOB is. Mm, yeah. All right. Andrew, lastly, we know that TOV expands on uh, Pope St. Paul's sixth, uh, 1968 encyclical, uh, ah, yes, Humanity, yes. which is on human life. So yes. could you share a bit on why uh, JP2 founded 
important to stress on this more than 10 years later? Well, actually, uh, when, when the Humane Vitae came out, and it wasn't well received by the church and by the world. And, but but St. Paul, uh, Paul VI, he, he ignored the majority report and because there's a majority report among in the commission who say we should we should change with the times and allow birth control pill. We should allow it. You know, before in the past the church has always said no, but Saint John, uh, Saint Paul the Sixth says no. Uh, he he stuck to his uh, guts and he thought that it is the intrinsic evil that the conjugal act, sexual intercourse between husband and wife, have the procreative and unitive significance or the mission, or, or this significant, this uh, meaning, which must not be separated. Because if the procreation and the unitive significance or meaning of the conjugal act is separated, then it is no longer a conjugal act. It, it becomes something very, uh, very wrong, you know. Mm. In fact, uh, it's not just the Pope who says it. I think a lot of uh, People, even uh, psychologists and a father of modern psychology, uh, he says that once you take out take out procreation from the sexual uh, act, it becomes a perversion. Mm. Uh, so anyway, back to contraception. So that part, when we get it wrong, you see, it will lead to many, many wrong things. And so because it was not well received, the world was celebrating with contraception and with the pill and the condoms and there was the whole sexual revolution. And many of the uh, prophecies inside humanity came true. Marriage will be destroyed, divorces goes up, you know, infidelity go increase, morality goes down, respect for women goes down, government begin to get involved and, and begin to uh, tell people how to have children, when to have children and control their government aid if you don't have your birth control practices in place. So there was a lot of, and this flowed on to LGBT uh, and gay sex because if you can have sex with anyone, the LGBT is saying, well, you know, why, why, why restrict to only men and women? Why not just to another man? Because all you want is just an orgasm. So uh, it's, I think it was Andrew Sullivan, a gay activist, who said that if uh, marriage is not intrinsically procreative, then it doesn't have to be intrinsically heterosexual. Mm. You know? Because uh, it, it, a sexual act is all about orgasm, mutual masturbation. You know? So once you go down that line, then gender is no longer important. Uh, and then you have gender ideology now. So, I mean, the whole is it, it's a slippery slope thing, uh, thing that it becomes worse and worse and worse what we have today, this confusion, the marriage redefinition and all that. So mm -hmm. the Pope needs... Rather, the Pope realized that to address this problem of contraception and the whole sexual revolution and all this uh, thinking about gay sex and LGBT, it, it, you, you can't just give a teaching and say, this is, yeah, we have been doing that. This is wrong. Homosexuality is wrong. You know, homosexuality, I mean, act is wrong, you know, and, and masturbation is wrong. But you don't explain the why. People, modern men is not convinced. Yeah. Know? And even I think we, a lot of us have this problem in the catechism class. We tell our class, oh, you know, this watching porn is wrong, and someone asks you why. Unless you have a good answer, uh, you know, you, you're not going to convince people. People need convincing. And the best uh, way of convincing is their own experience of the life. What do they feel in their heart? What is it they really want? 
you know, and what is the love that we want to do? And, and we have to link it with our bodily uh, experience of the phenomena of life itself. And so uh, the, the gospel, since it speaks the truth, uh, is now hopefully being internalized through our physiology, through our emotions and experiences, that we understand that uh, all this uh, sins it's actually really uh, addictive and it destroys the body, it destroys the human psychic, it destroys the human nature. Mm. And, and so to address this problem, you, we need a theology of the body. Uh, in fact, the Pope revealed at the, towards the end of his 129 talks that you can, you can say the theology of the body is an ample commentary, a defense of the teaching in Humanae Vitae of contra you know, against contraception. So all this is help us to understand uh, why LGBT is wrong or and why contraception is wrong and even why we cannot have married priests, you know. <laughs> oh, not, sorry, sorry. We cannot have women priests. We, we have married priests. And we cannot have women priests, you know. Uh, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, it's all linked together and, and we have to learn this new information oh, uh, in a new way of philosophy, a new way of learning, a new style of learning using... Mm the tools of phenomenology. Scholasticism, which is the uh, traditional way of how we learn our catechism, question and answer, you know, object and definitions and all that. Now we, we look at it in more in a holistic, personalistic way. Mm. Uh, you know, I'll give you a very uh, simple example. You know, in the traditional catechism, we would say, well, uh, what is sex for? You know, and we, we define, oh, sex is to procreate, you know, and to nurture, procreation and nurture of children, you know and uh, education of children. But that kind of defining what sex is uh, by, by its aim, by its, by its outcome, is technically correct, you know, but it doesn't fulfill the, the soul. It doesn't fulfill mm. the person's interest. But TOB would say that sex is about uh, using the language of the body to, to express a love that's so total that it's possible in the body uh, and the aim here is not to procreate in the sense that the aim here is to love. I want to give myself to my spouse. I want to be given and I want to give. And the whole, you can say the whole phenomenon of copulation, uh, like giving and receiving, the whole body gesture of interaction, inter, uh, interaction and, and in reaction and all the gesture and all the movements of the body and the breathing and the sensuous uh, seduction of both of the couple. It's a, it's a body is speaking a language of total giving, total self-giving love. And when they are doing that, when a couple is having sex, they are not really thinking, we want to have children, that's why we have sex. It's academic, yeah, you know, you get children, but uh, sometimes they're not even thinking of it. But of course, uh, they're open to life, but it's not in their uh, vision, you know, you know, I'm having sexual intercourse with my wife because I want children. No, you haven't actually got because you want to give her yourself and you want her for yourself in a very intimate, sensual way, expressed in and through the body. Mm. And so it is an act of love. You're having sex because you love, you know, it's not because you want children. But you have to be open to children. It's part of the part of the bargain. It's part of the view. <laughs> it's written into the natural law. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can't say, you know, that's why to, to block out life. To say I want sex but not life, then you're you're blocking God out. Why? Because who is God? Who is the Holy Spirit? The Lord and giver of life. 
if you block God out, you block life out of your sexual intercourse, then you're blocking the, the Trinitarian love out. Then mm. it's no longer conjugal act. It's just, uh, you, can, you, can, you can say, it's just a masturbatory act. You just want an orgasm. You know? and, and that's where the wrong comes in. Because now you're making use of the other and making use of yourself as instruments to receive a, a certain pleasure. In fact, it causes self-alienation. It doesn't bring you closer. It doesn't bring unity. Mm. That's why homosexual sex uh, cause alienation rather than closeness, well, unity. Uh, whereas heterosexual sex is meant to, I mean, with the husband and wife, is meant to bring unity. Yeah. What I'm getting out of all this is also the act, the sexual, the, the act of sexual intercourse is somewhat a reflection of the image of God. Yeah. Right? The, yes. the, like you said, the Trinitarian image of God. And yeah, I think it's interesting that if we put it that way. Okay, Andrew, let's wrap yeah. it up. Okay. Is there anything you would just like to add on this topic and maybe to share to our listeners where they can learn more about TOB? Okay, uh, the first uh, place I would recommend is the Christopher West YouTube, you know, excellent uh, resources. A lot of them are free. You can just listen to it. And I, I give also uh, courses on the theology of the body. I, I can forward them to you and as and when I have them. In fact, I'm, tomorrow night I'm conducting, a, I'm finishing rather concluding a 10 hours course. And I, I think it's something that you you cannot like read one page or one article and say, oh, and that's TOB. It's something that's ongoing and, it, and it's so important that society, especially starting with Catholics and then the Christian to the whole world, uh, have to learn and see that this truth is very important because the Sister Lucia, the Sia, uh, Sister Lucia, one of the, 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 the last Sia who died nah, from mm, Fatima. Fatima. Yeah, she said uh, the final battle, uh, the kingdom of Christ and Satan is over marriage and family. Yeah. And this is what's happening today. You know? And that's why TOB is so much needed. And so I hope that, you know, uh, more people find it interesting and they want to have courses and, and talks so that they can learn for themselves, for their family, for their children, for their marriage. And so why is sex so important? Why is it so sacred? Uh, and that's where uh, with God's grace and God's help and you know, intercession of and John Paul II, you know, we can make it happen. <laughs> yeah. And of course, to all our listeners, we, we will have all the links in the episode notes so you can find it all there. All right. So thank you, Andrew, so much for, for today, for spending the time with us, explaining bit by bit on this very heavy topic, actually. And yeah, and we just appreciate so much of your insights and how you put this in, 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 in very digestible ways, la, at least for me. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. All right. So for any other updates, you can refer to our website, our Facebook and Telegram accounts. Also, follow this podcast so you know when our next episode is coming out. All right, see you guys. Unboxing the Faith is brought to you by the Social Communications Ministry of the Chapel of Christus Aman.